All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, thanks for listening again. Uh, my name is Tom, Tennis of Melbourne Convo, City of Love. And today, beautiful day, um, I am very lucky to have Junaid. Now, Junaid, you want to say hello to our 50 million friends. <laughs> hello, everyone. Um, hello, Tom. Nice to have this opportunity to speak with you and everyone around mm-hmm. Melbourne and hopefully the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Okay. Beautiful. Junaid, let's start with... Um, Let's start with some little things in life. Okay, I'm going to give you a curveball. I'm going to start little things in life. At this point in your life now, can you tell me maybe one or two things that you're grateful of? Outside tennis. Outside tennis. Grateful of. Good question. Good question. I think it's a very fitting question, Tom, especially in the tough times that we we find ourselves. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can't go without saying I'm grateful for for my family. I have a, a young son who just turned six mm-hmm. and um, he's the highlight of my life. And I think he helps me, helps me stay motivated and helps me uh, work hard at the things I uh, didn't used to work as hard as when I was younger. Ooh. And I'm also grateful for, I guess, being in this beautiful city, like you said. Um, I think, you know, looking at the situation in the world, I think I'm very lucky to be in Melbourne. Um, Australia is an amazing place and I feel safe here. And yeah, just uh, happy, to, happy to be here at the moment. Okay. Now, um, so that means you technically not original, originated from Melbourne. Where, what cities uh, did you come from? Correct. So uh, my family, I was born in India. So my family is from Calcutta, mm-hmm. um, quite a uh, poor part of India. Uh, we weren't a very poor family. We were, uh, I guess, medium medium class citizens there. But mm-hmm. um, we moved to Australia when I was uh, six years old, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. yep. So just before primary school. So since then, yep, been living in Melbourne, but um, as we might touch on later, I spent um, many years in the United States um, playing college tennis there and studying and working there before I moved back to Melbourne six years ago. Oh, okay, okay. Now, before we get into tennis, now, uh, are you a coffee drinker? I do like my coffee, but I drink coffee, Tom, for the purpose of exercise. So it's oh. my pre-workout. Okay, I mean, I was, um, alright, so, long story short, because uh, I had a time where I was uh, working with some uh, recovery work with uh, uh, long distance and endurance runners, um, you know, I have seen players, they go, they need that ca- uh, coffee hit or caffeine hit before the run, uh, they think that it stimulate, uh, st- I don't know, uh, stimulates their, their, their brain and their whole body, um, keep them, you know, aroused uh, throughout the whole, whole, you know, 15, 20, 30K run. Is that why you do similarly with your exercise? Yeah, I think I think it helps me not only give me that kickstart, but um, it helps the blood flow, I feel, for my body. Mm-hmm. It helps me um, warm up easier. It helps me stay focused. helps keep my heart rate, you know, elevated to a certain level where I just feel better when I work out. And, you mm-hmm. know, I guess we can sort of call it an addiction now, but... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just don't feel the same, Tom, if I don't work out with the, with the coffee before. And, you know, now I drink it with milk before I used to, you know, gulp down four double espressos and <laughs> wow. hit the gym. <laughs> but uh, that was a little bit too much for the heart to take, so uh, mm-hmm. I've toned it down a little bit. Okay. Now, speaking of fitness, uh, what are the, some of the fitness that you think all tennis players in all levels should maintain? Like, 
for me, I reckon we all supposed to do some sort of um, push-ups, uh, but not in a in a you know like not like hundred times, but like maybe ten fifteen a day, uh, maybe planking up to a minute. And I think that goes for all levels and from you know. But what are some of the fitness that you think that our listeners can can have you know in terms of, of what they can do at home? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think you mentioned it, Tom, you know, controlling your own body weight, I think, is the first thing that everyone should um, try to aim for. So, you know, mm-hmm. we all see, you know, the professionals out there, how quick they are, you know, how strong they are, that they rarely get injured. We mm-hmm. see them doing some crazy stuff in the gym with complicated equipment. But, you know, in the end, if, if you can't control your own body weight and move it with balance and stability, I think that's where everyone needs to focus on. Um, you can get stronger without lifting heavy weights, especially in tennis. It's a, you know, as you know, it's an endurance sport, but it's a, it's a very high intensity endurance sport. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, yeah, okay. push-ups, absolutely, lunges. You know, tennis is a unilateral sport. I'm, I think everyone's heard that term out there. That's tennis players. Mm-hmm. So we do, you know, shift our body weight to one side a lot. Um, so. I really recommend, and I do have a fitness background, um, you know, sports science uh, qualifications. So I'm very big in the fitness side of things. That's always been my 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 passion. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, single leg activities are really good. But you know, until you can control yourself on two feet, you know, doing proper form squats and whatnot, then probably single leg is probably the next step of progression, I would say. But yeah, push ups, lunges. Um, jump squats, learning how to land, Tom, is quite important as well. Mm. I feel like a lot of people are very good at uh, the concentric portion, but absorbing that eccentric portion of the, the exercise, you know, for instance, when you're running wide to forehand, you know, you, you feel yourself, you can get there, but you're not quite balanced when you are there. That's a lot of work on learning how to mm. land and absorb the forces. I like it. Look, I'm taking notes, all right? I'm taking notes, and I love it. Love it. Okay, all right. So let's go, let's throw something back a little bit. Um, why tennis? Because um, I have a few friends who are from India. They said um, they grew up with only one sport, which is cricket. And then they have to go out of their own little bubble and go, you know what, there's there's other sports outside. Now, did you always love tennis, or was there other, other sports that you, you, you were involved yeah, it's a good question because I did, um, when we were living in India, I do recall playing cricket on the streets with, you know, friends and neighbors. And my dad was a very big cricket fan, although he was a, uh, he was a boxer in his day. So, um, he did do a, a bit of both, but cricket was in everyone's blood, as you know, in India, it's like you can't get away from it, even if you don't like it. So you're kind of, in a sense, uh, pushed into it. So, you know, but then when we moved to Australia, we found it a little bit difficult to settle in. Things were tough. You know, we left all our family behind, came here with, um, you know, not much on our plate. It was hard for my parents in a to find a job and stuff, but we're luckily we had a tennis court close to where we lived in Tullamarine, and I believe it's still there. It's, it's on Derby Street in Tullamarine, if anyone knows where that is. Mm. Not the best courts in the world, but, <laughs> yeah, I just remember my dad took me out there, and we would just play for exercise, play for fun, and... Um, yeah, and I guess it went from there. And, and I'd like to shout out uh, a lady named Julie Angleton, who used to be the uh, club's coordinator for Buckley Park Tennis Club. She is, I think, a big reason why I got into tennis. She was hitting with her daughter at the side of my father and I, and um, 
you know, she saw I was a good player, had some, some talent and, and, you know, she took me under a wing and I started playing for Buckley Park Tennis Club in juniors and, you know, the rest is uh, history. Wow. Now, um, just going back to cricket, I, I got to touch on cricket a little bit. I myself loved my cricket in my in my early days before tennis. Now, we do yeah. have a legend that recently passed away, like literally yeah. moments ago. I just thought, if you're listening, um, yeah, if you love your cricket, shout out to Dean, uh, the Dean Jones, um, Dina, or call him Dino's uh, fans out there. I want, I want to have his. I want to make sure that uh, his legacy, I, I live forever for for the tennis. Uh, for 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 any for everyone for in, in, yeah. especially um, cricket cricket community, um, so yeah, just uh, uh, my condolences on behalf of Tennis of Melbourne to Dino's family, friends, and um, and and fans. Okay, so um, so you you mentioned um, Tullamarine playing tennis um, and then rest of the history. Now, junior tennis is probably the most part where you you develop you know your technique, mental fitness, and all that. You want to share a bit of a junior tennis days where, you know, before we head into college, what were some of the highlights that you've you've achieved and what are the, some of the things that you think, oh, I made this move correctly or I made this move, you know, could be a little bit, uh, made some adjustments? Yeah, classical throwback question, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me about this journey and, and my clients and how you get into tennis and whatnot. So my journey, I think, is a little bit different, uh, Tom, mm. but for most people. So um, I never really had a tennis coach when I was oh, a full-time coach. Yeah. So the way I, way I learned was um, I used to watch, you know, the Agassi Sampras days, the Saffin mm. days. Those were my heroes, Agassi. And I used to just copy. I used to copy what they do. So um, this is how I would learn. And then I would go out and practice and practice and, and play with friends. Okay, and okay. I'll, I'll skip all that. A... Hold on. I'll skip all that. You know why? Yeah. Because I did the same thing with my swimming and I injured myself. Now, let's talk about injuries. I'm sure there is some sort of injury because if you have no one. And I, I, I'm going to really just cut deep here. Because if you're saying there's no coach and you're able to do, um, you know, you make it to college and all that, what were some of the injuries that, you know, I, I'm not, maybe there isn't, but what were, if there were, what were some of the injuries that caused? Yeah, so my first, um, I guess, major injury was I tore a stomach muscle when I was, I believe, 16, turning 16, mm -hmm. just before the Nationals in Gosford, Tasmania. Um I just remember going out there in the morning and going out for a serve. And I think looking back, the reason was I didn't really warm up well or right. maybe I was overtraining. But so I had a stomach tear that, that put me out for a good three, four months. And I missed the nationals there, which was disappointing. Um, but um, other than that, Tom, you know, like uh, when I went to college tennis, um, personally, I feel like that's when my real training started in a sense, the real structured training. You know, when I say I didn't have a coach, I mean like a full-time private coach. I didn't right. have coaches here and there the way I attended, oh. you know, squads at um, academies at, at Maribyrnong Tennis Club under Anthony Burke. We had a really good squad there. Uh, the NSJTA boys, um, you know, we did really well. A lot of us were, were tournament players together. So mm -hmm. that was a really fun squad. I have good memories of that. Um, I didn't really have any injuries back then when I was in juniors. But when I went to college, I had a pretty bad, severe left knee tendonitis. And I think it was from all the hardcore training that we did. Um, 
in the US we you know we train four or five hours a day of tennis plus morning fitness afternoon fitness and everything was on the court everything was just you know just beating down on my leg mm. that's when I really started feeling the injuries when the, when the training started ramping up um, yeah and you know I did manage that fairly well but it did you know place me out a lot of matches in college that I wish I Wow. You know, could have played, yeah. Did you ever think about going pro uh, when you were 18? Yes, of course. I think any player that um, reached a you know, decent level probably is lying to themselves then if that never crossed their mind. Mm-hmm. But um, I did, I did. But, you know, in the sense where I wasn't ever the child where I would be like, okay, pro is the only thing that I have to do. And it was never like something where... It's a do or die situation. I always loved the idea of it, but I was always content with just playing. And, you know, so, you know, I, I really loved the sport when I was young, and I think that's what kept me going, and that's why I'm a coach now. Um, I never really did it just for the wins, and I never really, you know, traveled. I, you know, mind you, I, I did get to number one in Australia without mm-hmm. going into state. So I pretty much won everything in Melbourne and Victoria and Whoa. got my ranking up. Wow. So it yeah it was never it was never like I'm chasing points and this I just wanted to do as best as I could and I really loved it I really got drawn into it especially watching you know Agassi and Sampras matches those were very inspiring mm-hmm. as uh, as you can imagine. All right, look I do apologize to to cut you off about the juniors now because the reason why I said that is because I feel like um, I mean I. I can relate to with you a little bit because growing up, you know, um, I moved to this country, you know, in the early '90s, and we our schedule is really based on what our parents can can support or parents can see, yep. you know. So I still yep. remember my parents were just only telling me, "Okay, cool, um, just watch Michael Chang or just watch, you know, um, Agassi and how they hit the ball, and that's how you hit." So they don't really have that biomechanical like you know these days juniors you know you got coaches nothing wrong yeah. you know you got t- 12 for 12 year olds they start breaking it down with the serves and stuff back then we don't have all the video analysis iphone no. slow motion so let's look at the real because you said you, you, you said you're coaching now right what were some of the pros and cons that with the technology that do you think players are you know getting a precise information about their development or do they get over-informed watching all these highlights and watching all how other people doing all these fancy shots? That's a great question, Tom. Mm-hmm. That's, um, you know, I think um, right off the top of my head, I think it's a bit of both. I think, I think the coach needs to use the video analysis and the technology to an extent, um, but there is that danger of using it too much and relying on it. Mm. So you might have heard the term, the coach's eye, before mm-hmm. so you know you, you you have to be able to to feel and see what what your player is doing you can't always go back to the video and slow it down and you know look at the different angles they have and you know how far the racket drops and what angle their knee bend is those are all well and good but you know how do you convey that information to a client so you know, if tom you came to my court and you know we took a video of you serving and you know we, we i drew all these lines of this video and it you know for marketing purposes it looks really good mm-hmm. but how do you actually go and do those things you know how do you bend your knees less or how do you you know you know rotate your body or your torso more those are all things that we don't really think about in a serve we think about you know how the serve flows and we, 
we try to make the server natural action. So there is that danger if you, if you don't have you know the right information, you could be leading the client down the wrong path. So I think um, I think it's very important to use video analysis because I think it's a good feedback tool for the client to be able to see themselves. I unfortunately didn't really see myself play until I was 16, mm. and I picked up on a lot of things when I did see the video analysis. You know, I thought I was moving really fast, but I probably wasn't moving as fast as I wanted to. Right. So, yeah, right. I, I, I think it, it does have its time and place, but um, I feel like people nowadays, when I say people, I mean coaches, are probably relying on it a little bit too much is my, my gut feeling because, um, mm. you know, everything is moving online with the online coaching and the mm. YouTube videos and there's a lot of great content out there. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think, I think it needs to be looked at very carefully. I was, uh, that's uh, so true. I was um, randomly just you know, Google how to hit a forehand, you have no idea how many, how many titles and subtitles write something like how to hit a perfect forehand. You know, yeah. I, I, I looked at it and I just laughed. And I, I, again, nothing wrong with all the coaches. and But the thing is, everyone's forehand is different. Everyone's timing is different. Everyone's behavior and routine, you know, they do things a little bit different. So I would say the best person to say, how to hit a perfect forehand is the coach that really cares about your technique and a coach is looking to have a good relation and long, long-term relationship with you and working with you to, you know, forehand on, 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 on clay, forehand on hard court, forehand, you know, at the back or forehand. You know. So I think that's the word. But otherwise, uh, as you said, totally agree. Uh, I think uh, sometimes the technology has over make us overplay. So, speaking of overplay, do you think that um, junior players sometimes uh, overthink and therefore that the mental side of them actually breaks down real quick during um, during the tournaments? Yes. I mean, personally, personally, I feel like, you know, tennis, as you know, is such a mentally tough sport and we're out there by ourselves. Um, we're facing adversity almost every single point. It's very rare that we play a match and everything went well. Mm. Um, and nowadays, with you know, going back to this technology, there's so many videos out there. You can see, you know, a 14 year old junior training in France or in Turkey, or mm -hmm. you know, back when we played, we didn't know what the world was doing. We just knew what we were doing. True. So I think what that does, Tom, is that that kind of sets a standard or a kind of not a false hope, but it, it gives us this this um, this message that might not be healthy, you know. Like in the end, we have to try to increase our own genetic potential. We have to try to be the best version of ourselves. We can't all be, you know, Rafael Nadal's or Roger Federer's, and you know, we can't all be like the number one junior in the world when we're fourteen. So, I think maybe for juniors nowadays, you know, they see all these things and you know they have these expectations, and that puts extra pressure on them in a sense. Mm. And they're trying to perfect everything and, you know, they might think, oh, you know, I lost this match, you know, to this guy I always beat, so I'm not good anymore. You know, I, 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 tennis is too hard or I need to train extra hard where, in fact, it might be something small that they did or maybe they need some tactical help. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, going back to your question, I think the mental side of tennis for juniors now, it, I think it's really tough compared to, to back in the 90s. Just because there's there's so much we have to compare ourselves to. There's so much that society puts out there that we feel like, okay, if we're not there at this stage, we're not good enough. Mm. 
Okay. I don't think about that long-term development anymore. Yeah. I mean, okay, well, this is probably the first time I've, I've ever asked on Tennis of Melbourne. In your experience and opinion, what is one difference between a good player and a great player? Now are we talking about at an elite level or uh, elite junior? What uh, level are we uh, Between to? 13 to 18. 13 to 18. So, so a, a, a good junior, a top junior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I feel like the maturity, the maturity level on the court makes a big difference. You know, when you, I'm sure you've seen a fair share of tournaments, when you go out there and, you know, you see two 14-year-olds playing or two 16-year-olds playing, but they don't behave the same in the court. You know, one one behaves like a 16-year-old, but one behaves like a 25-year-old. <laughs> they're, compo- they're composed, you know what I mean? They're yes. composed, they, they, they feel like they belong. They just, they look like they're adults out there. Mm-hmm. And... I feel like to, to be to be a, a good player nowadays, you have to have everything. You have to have this 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 maturity. You have to have a good character. You have to have a good uh, solid foundation and values and upbringing from your parents. You know, you have to have good fitness. You have to love the sport. Um, you have to want to go out there and practice every day. I feel like you have to be a complete player nowadays just to even compete out there with the top top juniors and. Um, you know, I, I think that's harder and harder to do now because there's mm. so many distractions out there with technology. Mm. It's not just about tennis anymore. Mm. Um, but for me, yeah, you have to have everything right. to make it. Okay. Now, rolling on to the coaching side, in same question, what is one difference between a good coach and a great coach? Question. Um, I think... What separates for me personally a good coach and a great coach is understanding of the game. So where the game of tennis is today, the modern game. Um, and another thing that's important is that you really have to understand and listen to your player. So, you know, a lot of coaches out there, and I've been, a, you know, a, a victim of this, is that, you know, we, we, we have so many thoughts in our mind. We have so many things that we want to convey to our client that we, we kind of confuse them sometimes and in a sense like we have to go back to the drawing board and feel like you know it's about the play it's not about us so the player's central role is really important right now what does this player need what does this 16 year old girl need in her game is it something that that i feel like she needs or something that she needs at that moment in time so I think great coaches can really understand and build a good relationship with their players, Tom. Mm-hmm. And they can really, you know, focus on the player, not so much on how much they know or how much they want to prove to the client, so to speak. Right. That's beautiful. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Now, um, earlier before uh, before the convo, uh, I did mention that Tennis of Melbourne is about appreciation. And um, so this is... This is your time to, to thank whoever you want to thank, name drops if you want, and all the um, tennis business or organizations or partners that you may be involved in. This is your time. So, Junaid, um, take your time. Take it away. Uh, well, thank you, Tom. Thank you, firstly, for this opportunity again. And hello to everyone that gets the opportunity to listen to this. Um, so, yeah, I'm Junaid. I'm from University Tennis Academy. We operate out of University of Melbourne. And um, we've been there for the better part of six years, and uh, 
for those that know us, our program has gone rapidly there. We've had a, a great relationship with the university and um, all the athletes there. Um, in 2018, I must mention this, this is the highlight of the past few years, we ended up winning the university nationals um, at the University of Melbourne, and uh, that happened with the women's and the men's team, Tom. So mm. that was the first time in history that Melbourne Uni has won um, the men's and women's title in the same year, and only the second time that the men have won it in the history of University of Melbourne. Wow. So that was a really proud achievement, not only for myself, but I'm sure for the players. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's a testament to how the players came together. It was a fantastic achievement. And, you know, I think university really saw us as a, as a legitimate, um, not so much business, but a legitimate uh, addition to university. And, uh, you know, things have grown rapidly since then. So I really like to shout out to all the players that were part of that Nationals team in 2018 and also last year 2019 that um, you know worked their their butt off so to speak and and gave everything in the court. It was very nice to to see that from all the players and brought back a lot of memories from my my college days. Nice. So uh, yeah, thank you to everyone. But uh, yeah, University Tennis Academy. So we you know we do um, tend to have and specialize in clients from the university you know, setting. So we do have a lot of students there that are university students, but we cater to everyone. Mm. Um, I teach a lot of juniors there. Uh, we have a great atmosphere and a great tennis club, Melbourne University Tennis Club, that um, have worked very hard over the last five years to set a good relationship and a culture there. So we're very welcoming. We're very inclusive. We have a strong women's program for females-only tennis. Um, we have wheelchair tennis. We have uh, Aboriginal tennis. We're delving into disability and autistic um, tennis as well. So we're trying to include everyone into our programs with the help of the university. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been a great journey. And um, like I said, there was no program at University of Melbourne six years ago. And uh, I'm very glad to, you know, bring bring our services to the university and hopefully you know COVID allows us to do so continuing on into this year and into next year all right okay now uh today is the 25th today is the 25th of september 2020 uh one there is one player that is from or was from melbourne uni Tyler Tranquil. Tyler, if you're listening, happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday, Tyler. <laughs> okay, so let's look back. Um, I, I like when you were when you were right saying all the things about the university academy. I, I have a few notes, and I'm going to ask from a parent or potential client point of view, if I if you, if, if I may. Sure. Uh, how many courts are there? We have four um, hard courts there, recently surfaced to okay. um, Australian Open surface. Okay. All right. I am a uni student, but I'm not from Melbourne Uni. Can I play for Melbourne Uni? You can play in our program, but mm -hmm. you have to be a university student to represent oh, the university. Right. But I can train under your squad or with your squads and absolutely. Okay. So we, um, you don't have to be a student of the uni. You don't have to be affiliated with the uni mm -hmm. to come join our program. So we're like any other program, as if we were at a tennis club. Mm. So we are. We do work with Melbourne University Tennis Club. We're mm -hmm. in partnership, yep. but because we're situated at the uni, sometimes that is a little bit confusing. But mm -hmm. we're open to any and everyone, all levels. Are you looking into somewhere down the track? Because um, I did follow University Academy. Um, 
you know, for a few years now. And I saw you did some um, one-day tournament at uh, Royal Park, I think, maybe a few years back, uh, with other with other universities. Uh, are you looking to expand to RMIT, the Tro? Yes, absolutely, Tom. And actually, we have. So mm. um, last year, we were, um, you know, with our success in the nationals, we had a meeting um, in Queensland with Bond University, mm. and we formulated a Pac-8 championship. So just mm. like in the US where they have the Pac-12 now, it used to mm. be the Pac-10, mm-hmm. we have a Pac-8 um, varsity championship. So that includes um, Melbourne Uni, RMIT, Monash University, and a few interstate universities like UCID, UTS. So the top eight universities that finish um, the top eight in the United Nationals get to play in the special Pac-8 championships. Um, we were doing really well at the start mm-hmm. of the year before COVID hit. We got mm-hmm. to play a few matches. Um, so we're definitely looking to continue that um, uh, end of the year or into next year. So it's been a really solid program. So when the tournament finishes, um, does, does university offers? Uh, you know, a weekly comp, like, for example, join a pennant or join a squad or so, so the players can still still maintain their competitive level? Yes, absolutely. So I'll give you a quick little uh, brief summary on the schedule. So, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, university starts in March. Yep. That's when we do all our grading and our trials for pennant teams. Mm-hmm. So we had uh, upwards of 11 pennant teams last year at the university, and I believe it, all but one team made the finals, wow. which was a fantastic result. So we actually have a grading system, mm. and we have a very formal system there. So if you go to a normal tennis club, you know, you kind of join a pennant team, you play with your friends. Mm-hmm. We do encourage that at the uni, but we try to have a little more set standards. So you come to a grading session, we watch you play with experienced coaches, and we form our teams, and we suggest teams that, um, you know, suit your level. Um, and then we submit teams, and you know, it's up to Tennis Victoria to get those teams back. And usually we've had a good run with that. Um, and then just shortly after pennant starts, that kind of leads into the national team and the Pac-7, Pac-8 championships. Oh, so gotcha. we, we do have competitions. Basically, they're playing from March all the way through till October. And if they play summer pennant, it's all the way through to January. And, um, you know, Tom, we support that in terms of um, we have scholarships at the uni, we have subsidized training. Uh, The national players don't uh, pay anything for their training. It's all free. Uh, If you get chosen for the Pac-8, all the training is free. And when I say free, um, it's it's coaching, it's um, training with the squad. um, We even offer with Elite Academy Sports Medicine. So another shout out. There are... a physiotherapist and sports medicine at university. So we have a partnership with them where they provide physiotherapy massages at heavily subsidized or even free free rates depending on the level and the team of the client. Um, oh. So, yeah, we've uh, we formulated quite a good uh, program there for um, elite level players, not only the... Uh, the beginning, beginner level. Okay, let's. I'm. I'm gonna jump straight to the conclusion, right? Sure. Modern days tennis players are really, really good. They decide to go college, and nothing wrong with college. NCAA Division One, full scholarship, everything. Give you a, you know. How can we build? How can we create that kind of model for our local players from Melbourne or even just across Australia to even come to Melbourne and still compete in the high level? get their education, get their degree, and once they finish the college, they can still, you know, turn pro instead of just going to America. Again, nothing against Americans, nothing against the American system, except their coffee. 
<laughs> but but in Melbourne, how can we bring that model? And and I think you're the best person to ask. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yes, I've had my fair share. I actually went to three different colleges in the US. Um, I don't know if you know that. I did jump around a little bit, so um, I've been around a bit. But, you know, this is what we're trying to do with this Pack 8, Tom. And, you know, University of Melbourne and, um, you know, I think we've been leading the way in forming this, you know, partnership, I dare to say. So um, we've approached all the colleges uh, three years ago. and We formed this Varsity Tennis Championships. So, you know, I think I think it's difficult, Tom. I think it boils down to um, funding, to be honest. Mm. Um, you know, in the U.S., uh, I know that the college systems are very heavily funded. In fact, it's a billion-dollar industry. Wow. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of alumni money, a lot of sponsorships. So I think if we can find a way to get people involved in terms of sponsorships, they can sponsor some of the players and the cost. Mm. Um, the University of Melbourne does an excellent job in – you know, throwing a lot of money into the program, but it's not at the level of the U.S. college yet. Um, mm. And, you know, I dare say that the, the standard of education and the values that especially University of Melbourne and Monash and these top universities put on their studies is quite heavy. Mm. Um, not to say that, you know, if you go to U.S. college, you're not going to get a good education. By no means, that's that's not what I'm saying. But there are degrees there that you can kind of um, sleep your way through. Mm. <laughs> so mm. on record, I said that. So there is more time and, and, and space and effort that you can put towards sports there. Um, I know from personal experience that, you know, the players on our team, the studies were very heavy on their, uh, you know, some of them would struggle to train once once a week um, because, you know, the studies are very difficult at Uni Melbourne, as you know. Mm. So trying to find a balance with, you know, become a sports athlete, that I think also is, is going to be difficult um, in terms of forming a, a college program here. But, yeah, if you ask me to sum it up with one thing, it's, it's money. Mm, okay. Well, um, you when you were in college, I'm very, very sure that you heard the term called student-athlete. Now, student-athletes have to, you know, perform certain level, both academics and, and sport, and, you know, there's other, you know, terms uh, involved. Um Student athletes can. Would you think? Do you think that somewhere down the track, with you know, uh, university, like I'm, I'm just going to call it. Let's say Monash University, for example, or okay, Melbourne University, because we, we, we all agreed, you know, that's the place we start. Let's say, would, would Melbourne University would say, all right, so this player academically probably not, you know, in our level in terms of, you know. ATAR, what do you call it? Yeah, ATAR score, ENTER score, SAC, or whatever you like to call it. Um, but tennis is really, really good. Do you think you guys can convince Melbourne Union to go, you know what, um, we're going to give you a scholarship, but once you come in and you study, say, you know, commerce or, or science, we expect you to get, you know, certain certain percentage every subject. Otherwise, we'll cancel your scholarship and... Yeah, do you think that could work out? Like you work out a deal to say to get a player who's maybe top five in the country, eighteen years old, um, chose, uh, you know, chose chose um, not to go to pro and not to call not to go to college in Division One in in the state, but instead going to University of Melbourne. Wow, that's a that's an excellent question, Tom. Thank wow, you. <laughs> you really thought about this one, yeah. Yes. Um, you know, in an ideal situation, I think that's what should and could happen. But I feel like the, the, 
the the favoritism or the reputation of the uni might get um, a little hindered there. Mm. So, for example, if we have, let's say, uh, like you said, a uh, you know a top eighteen year old or seventeen year old that's looking to to you know continue playing tennis, but cannot fund him or herself or doesn't quite have the the education level of a University of Melbourne, so to speak, and they would come to university and the university would give them these standards. You know, I don't know if you know, but in NCAA, it's actually against the NCAA rules to cancel a scholarship based on your tennis results. Oh, interesting. I don't know. I yeah, don't know so if you're on a team, and I've actually personally experienced this. This has happened to me <laughs> where... Uh, let's say you have to meet, uh, yeah, this could be a long conversation, so I won't get into it too much, but um, let's say, you know, you're chosen to be the number one player on the team and they give you a full scholarship and you get there and, you know, things are not like they envisioned or, you know, maybe you're injured or maybe, you know, you're not playing as well or, you know, maybe the coach has not promised what, what he or she has given and, you know, you don't end up playing one. So, you know, you might play three or four or maybe not even play in the team that year. So by NCAA rules, as far as I know, unless it's changed, based on your results, as long as you followed all the rules and you kept your grades up and, you know, you haven't, you know, drove a car through the clubhouse or anything like that, <laughs> you, you, you have to have to maintain your scholarship. Mm. So um, I think it, it, it would be difficult to, to you know, say to a player that if you don't maintain a certain level here or your grades that we're going to cancel your scholarship, that might be a little bit difficult. But I think there is room, Tom, like you said, which is a great idea, that we do need to expand the, um, I guess, the ATAR or the entry level a little bit. And I think because of this COVID thing, you know, the damage that is done to the uni, mm. I think that's what's going to happen next year, Tom. Wow. If if I'm jumping the gun, so to speak, the ATAR scores are going to be a little bit easier to get into these universities because, number one, they need the students. International yep. students haven't been given the green light yet. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we welcome it. You know, uh, you know, top grades are not for everyone, are they? You know, that we have to have a balance in life. And, mm. and you know, if you want to be a student athlete, it's uh, extremely difficult to excel in both and uh, I think the opportunity needs to be given to to more players um, to encourage them. Because as you know, once you reach 18, you're on your own. True. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now, um, let's just say before whole COVID, uh, were there many international students who just want to have a go at tennis in general? Yes. From my personal experience, um, and this is not fully accurate, but the clients that we see at the university is uh, very heavily towards the international side. So I probably have 65 to 70% international students in my program. Mm. And that's from beginner level, Tom, all the way through to nationals. Wow. So, yep. So, you know, Melbourne Uni, um, and, and, a, and a lot of them are from um, Asia and, so mm. to speak, China. Mm. So we do have a lot of Chinese students. Um, so, yeah, um, oh. it'll be interesting to see next year how it goes. Okay. Now, I've got a little complaint to make, okay? Yes. When I was in Melbourne Uni back in the days, yes. I cannot find parkings. <laughs> <laughs> join, Please. Join the club, Tom. <laughs> I'll share a little story with you, okay? Um, oh. Now, sorry, University of Melbourne, this is not your fault, but I want to share the story. So, I'm, you know, I'm the you know, coach there, University Tennis Academy, the head coach and whatnot. 
for the first four years, Tom, of my <laughs> coaching there, I did not get a parking pass. Oh, God. <laughs> Correct. Yep. I got my fair share of tickets, so I had to hustle for some parking on the street. Oh. Or, you know, get, get my mum or dad, or uh, sorry, my mum or my wife to drop me off. Oh. But uh, it was a struggle. And, you know, it's not, it's not, I think the university parking you know, it's very difficult for everybody. Sometimes their own staff, you know, don't get it or they have to pay a very heavy fee. Mm-hmm. Um, they try to encourage cars off campus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> but, you know, now they're a little bit better in understanding. But, yeah, parking is difficult. You know, we've had that problem with Penn and teams, you know. <laughs> Penn and teams that come and play in Melbourne Uni, it's a hassle. And I can understand. <sighs> you know, they have to park in a parking garage and incur a mm-hmm. heavy fee or they've got to go run and chase their car after their doubles match. Oh, really? Um, yes, yes. We've, uh, but, you know, now oh. with the relationship we've built with the University of Tom, we're able to get parking passes for uh, competitive players that come to play. Oh, so God. we do have our strings <laughs> that we can pull for you. No problem. Okay. We'll get you a pass, no problem. All right. So um, I kind of can imagine you running out of Tin Alley and then head to Alexander Parade, and you go, uh-oh, and then that is another white paper on the windscreen. Okay, geez. Um, join the club, too. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, a lot of money for the government. Yeah. Yes, we love our government. <laughs> we love it. We love okay, it. so um, uh, are we... <laughs> I just lost one words, because I, I just, like, look, I love the university, man, but when it comes to parking, especially, you know, um, going there for one hour or two hours... And then you realize, you know what, I can get away. Now, actually, for all the, all the Melbourne, uh, for just a little inside tip, near Grattan Street, near Grattan Street at the back, there could be some good parkings. And uh, one hour parking and two hour free parking, go check it out. All right. I'm pretty sure because as a student, you, go check it out. And you just have to walk a little bit far, uh, passing the, the professor walk and all that. But it's definitely worth it. So if you if you only have one hour now, how when you coaching, how many hours do you get on the court? Like three, five hours a day? Oh, much more than that. Wow. Um, yeah. So we our program runs seven days a week from mm-hmm. Monday through Sunday. Yeah. And actually, weekends are quite popular for us because you know uni students they study mostly during the week, yeah. and a lot of them prefer to leave their extracurricular activities on the weekend. But yeah. Um, you know, it varies for me. I say on average eight hours a day, on average. Jeez. And that's, um, that's not with admin time and that's not with, you know, supervising other coaches. Mm-hmm. And we do have multiple coaches coaching at the same time. On Sunday, we have uh, all courts going at some hours. So we use all four courts on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get quite busy, especially during the, uh, the first and the third terms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. But I do have, um, you know, I'm building my... Um, you know, coaches' uh, resumes, so they are able to, you know, do a lot on their own. They're fantastic coaches, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, shout out to all of them for all the help you've given me over the past few years. All right. Now, speaking of coaching, um, you received some awards recently or past years um, representing Mel- University of Melbourne. You want to share with us about that? Yes, yes. Um, I don't like to talk about, about <laughs> my awards too much because, you know, Honestly, I, I owe those awards to the team. I couldn't have done it without them. But um, I did get 2018 uh, Coach of the Year at Melbourne University. So that was a, 
that was a great surprise and a, and a big honour. And um, you know, I thank University of Melbourne. Uh, Tom Lutwich is the um, sports coordinator there, and, and and Rob and Brendan. They've done a great job in, in helping us build this uh, amazing national team. And you know, I, I don't want to forget any of the players, so I'm going to shout out to all of them for, mm-hmm. for all your help. But yeah, that was that was, I guess, my highlight here at University of Melbourne. And um, you know, just just tacking onto that, Tom, uh, we I don't know if you noticed, but um, there was this Belt and Road Initiative in, with China and um, Australian Open, so mm-hmm. Craig Tiley, and they it was an invite tournament to China in October of 2018, mm-hmm. and we were um, one of the lucky universities out of eight universities in the world that got to go and represent Australia. Mm, I saw the photos. Yeah, it was a fantastic experience, and mm. um, you know, thank you University of Melbourne and Tennis Australia for that mm. that opportunity, and uh, it was amazing. And I think um, you know, winning the nationals um, you know helped us that year for sure. Wow. Okay. Wow. Love it. Love it. All right. Yeah. Now, uh, to to finish it off, this combo, and uh, we're just going to touch on the lighter side. Now, earlier, right at the start, you have a a son, six year old. Yeah. Um, one day he's going to say, "Hey, daddy, I want to play tennis. I want to be the world number one." <laughs> and do you gonna you gonna scratch your head and go, "Uh oh," or are you gonna have uh, different responses? Well, you know, we all learn through our experiences, right? And, you know, like the, the way our, our parents teach us is, is is the way I guess we teach our kids, so to speak. My dad um, always pushed me into sports and, and, you know, told me to value hard work. So I'm always going to, you know, make my son work hard and teach him the value of hard work. But like you said, if it comes from him, I'm going to give him every support I possibly can in the world. Um mm. But I'm not definitely going to be, well, hopefully, I'm not going to be one of those parents that, you know, gets uh, overbearing and forces him into playing tennis and, and because I know the pressures and the heartache that you can get from tennis and actually how hard it is to make it. So I will definitely be supportive of him. And, you know, we do play tennis sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, if he asks me to play, I never force him to play. Um, but, you know, this might sound cliche, Tom, but in the end, as long as he's happy, I'm happy. Now, uh, if your dad is Junaid, if you're listening, <laughs> this is what your dad said when, you, when you're six. All right. Okay. Um, wow. I like it. I like it. Like, um, from the past, I have seen parents or heard parents that, you know, they're trying to, you know, I, you know, trying to treat their child or children as a trophy of tennis and all that. And I, I, I don't sense that from you at all. And and I want to thank you for that because, because um, right now with, with, going on in, in with tennis and this is my, my my little observation is that we we tend to focus on ranking too much and we forget yeah. the fun we forget the joy we forget the social side we tend to yeah. want to beat the person on the other side of the net rather than trying to hit the ball clean that ball coming towards you yeah. and it kills tennis so much in a sense that's why i like the 90s tennis i like the early 2000 tennis where maybe technology helped a lot with for the following and the exposure and the marketing but i still remember the time when i was 10 12 year old hitting the ball uh in a, on a, in a during summer from six to six o'clock to nine o'clock and we're just playing doubles yeah. you know and that's the, some of the best best memories with tennis now in in your experience and, and memories what are some of the great memories that you were playing tennis you know whether even 
recently or even when you're juniors or even during college? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Tom. By the way, those are those are some uh, nice days. We call them the good old days. Right? <laughs> yes, yes. I think yeah. I think the biggest like memory for me is you know just going out there and you know calling your friend and saying you know let's go practice mm-hmm. and you know, no formality. My dad was really supportive. He drove me anywhere I wanted to go for tennis um, any time of the day. He'd work his schedule around me and you know rest rest his peace, rest in peace. You know he passed away nine years ago. Um, but you know, he, he, I always remember that he always said, you know, just go out and enjoy. And that's what we did. You know, we, we went to the tennis club and we'd be there all the time. I'd be practicing, having lunch, staying there, you know, going for a run or playing some basketball, doing some fitness, go back and play some more tennis. You don't quite see that these days, do you? Mm. You don't quite see that, that enjoyment and, uh, just playing with friends, just playing matches and, you know, playing playing arse at the net or, you know, playing mini tennis. And we would play mini tennis for an hour before we started hitting. It was just so much fun. <laughs> and, you know, you don't even you don't even think back to all the skills you develop and mm. just that connection you make. And, and, you know, we had a bunch of friends that we always, you know, went to the same tournaments together. Mm-hmm. So we'd see familiar faces and yeah. you know, all our parents would, you know, bring lunch and we'd go and have lunch together and we'd go to each other's house. And we had this kind of like, you know, we were, we were almost like part of a team, you know, mm. and we, we tried to make each other better. Mm. I don't know if you see that nowadays. Maybe you do. I'm not in that, you know, junior scene anymore, but just from personal experience, you know, I feel like everyone's trying to beat each other, like you said. I, I, I agree. Um, I, yeah. I do see sometimes, but that's that's on the rare occasion where the fa- family yeah. and friends, they, you know, they live close by, you know. Uh, I still remember the time where when I was juniors, I played this tournament where everyone knows, every most people knows everyone, and then... And then uh, one parent is is leaving the club to pick up something like maybe lunch or something. And then before she left, she's like, "All right, cool. I'm gonna jot down. Let's say we're gonna go Maccas. And not that I eat Maccas, but oh, let's say go Maccas. <laughs> and then and then they just jot down everyone. And then bring another player and comes back. It's just it's just a little feast, you know. It's it's a and um, the winner comes down as a champion. The loser comes uh, comes off the court as a champion. So you know whatever happens right. on the court stays on the court. And it just seems to me like maybe because as a sports trainer, I go on all, at, the, at the higher level tournaments. I just don't see that. As you said, you know, it's it's sometimes it's sort of like everyone holding a knife behind them, you know, ready to attack or defend. It just seems Correct. to me that we can always just bring down that sort of level of um, beating up each other up rather than making others better. And I, I think that what you said, making others better, is something that is is missing now in from 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 grassroots tennis and 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 I think what you're doing with university tennis is sort of bring another element of you know go back to that room and then get all the old records and then start having a hit and then let's see where we can go from there and I think that what you did or what you're doing with university tennis is really is really really good so I myself is going to do you a little favor so in the month of October I'm going to have your link or university tennis. It does look like an elephant in, in as a logo. That's by the way. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. a long story about yeah. that. Yeah. I am in the process, um, very close <laughs> to changing the logo. Right. But, okay. Um, yeah. I won't mention his name, but if he listens to this podcast, you know who you are. <laughs> okay. Right. So, so anyway, so I'm going to do you a little favor. For the whole month of October, I'm going to have the, the link of university tennis the whole month on my Tennis of Melbourne uh, uh, bio so when everyone oh, wanted to so listen that's so nice of you thank well, you Tom I really appreciate yeah, that yeah so so when people listen to our convo they have to go to the convo link 
it's just a little uh, I guess billboard that people can see. Oh, okay, maybe what's this? What's this? Okay, because um, I'll give you a few numbers. Is that uh, on Castbox we have now reached just over twenty four thousand times. Um, wow! Yeah, uh, people played, and that's on Castbox. Uh, and uh, last probably four and a half weeks, maybe I've transferred a lot of my uh, traffic to to Spotify. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it just went through the roof. Uh, I think it's just well over seven thousand in a short time because people have Spotify, so it just uh, went through the roof. So um, yeah, so when people need to check out their Spotify, they need to go to the link, and then in that case, I will make sure people um, give you a shout out or follow follow you on Instagram. Thank you so much. Platform. So yes, <laughs> that's my that's something I, I feel because. A lot of decision making is made based on my instinct and my gut, and I think what you need is an audience, and that audience sometimes may be looking at other things because of distraction, because other things, you know. But I, I really think that you're very um, under, under underrated, and I, I think I think they people should turn more eyeballs for you and with with what you're doing with you know just because you're pretty much the pioneering the whole business model. And and who knows what's going to happen next? You know, so with all the COVID and all that. So, so on behalf of Tennis of Melbourne and myself, I wanted to thank you. So as of first of October, I'm going to have um, University Tennis uh, Instagram account, and then have it there so people can can follow and even ask all the questions they want, or even apply. You know, for future clients or parents, they're interested in your in your work. Thank you so much, Tom. I really, really appreciate it. It's a very nice thing for you to do. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? Um, for for those listening, um, I never met Grenade in in uh, in in person. I've seen him on on social media. Um, it's a wonderful chat. It's a wonderful convo. So I'm definitely going to have another chapter somewhere down the track. We can even just talk about '90s tennis and nothing else about Steffi Graf and you know uh, Andre Agassi and all that. Um, but until then, um, yeah, thanks for for tuning all these all these times. And uh, many people have reached out to me and wanting to have a convo. I apologize if I didn't, you know, reach out just yet because I have way too many convos in line. Um, and other than that, yeah, thanks for listening on Spotify and Castbox. Until then, uh, Grenade, you want to say goodbye to all our 50 million family and friends? <laughs> thank you, world. Thank you. Thank you for those of you that listen. And mm-hmm. thank you especially to Tom. You're doing an amazing thing with this uh, conversation and bringing the tennis world together. I really appreciate everything you do. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Until then, see you guys or hear you guys next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye.